Please remember that nothing we say here should be taken as personal financial advice. This conversation is for education purposes only. If you have questions about your situation, please talk to a licensed financial advisor. Welcome to the Get Invested 2.0 podcast. Um, so we're going to kick it off with housing. Um, so what do you think, Eva? So housing is a really interesting one and something I deal with a lot of times with my clients that are in their 30s, 40s, wanting to purchase a place, but it's just too expensive and rates are as low as they've ever been. But how do they do it? How did we get here? And I think we have a lot of material to, to walk through. Today. Yeah, it's uh, it's not easy to buy a house here in California, is it? <laughs> no, it's not. I think it's as expensive as ever. I'm hearing stories of people going 500K, sometimes a million over asking just in bidding wars. Yeah, because a lot of people think that they can get into their first home too with some type of like FHA loan and only putting down 5%. And like from what I've seen, like in practice right now, like it's almost impossible to actually land a house if you're only going to be putting that amount down. Maybe before the pandemic, but not right now. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, you know, why was consumer sentiment like so low during the pandemic? So it's just a matter of not knowing where things were going. I think that that's really the driving force here. So for example, onset of COVID, March 2020, what's going to happen? No one knows. So are you going to plunge a couple million dollars into first and foremost constructing a house and then even buying one? Not as much. So people were really sitting on their cash in that time. Yeah, we have seen cash levels rise and a lot of people I feel like just moved home like with their parents like they That's can work exactly from home it. now like they just went home they're saving money putting that cash in the bank. Um, but now that things are starting to open up a lot more, you know, at least not here in LA, but a lot of places in the US. Um, it's, you know, starting to come back. Like you're starting to see rental prices start to increase again. Um, you know, the stock market's obviously continuing higher and higher. Absolutely. Uh, and people are just sitting on this cash because there's no homes to buy. Mm -hmm. That's it too. And at the same time, there's also like a big reshuffling. I think people during the pandemic realized, number one, they want more space. And why do I need to be cramped inside a one or two bedroom apartment when I could have a house in a rural city? And so you're starting to see people migrate to these areas where there's a lot less inventory, but they're coming from the big cities and that's jacking up prices so much that makes it so that these young families that want to get into their first home, now they can't afford it. Yeah, and I saw you, you have some crazy stats here in the notes that we wrote up that the median listing prices grew 18.7% last year mm -hmm. and had 35 consecutive weeks of double digit growth, insane. Yep. That's crazy. And, and to top it off, new listings, there's a 36% gain compared to last year, but the total inventory declined by 53%, meaning the houses available for purchase are half as many as you would have during the pandemic. And there's a, you know, obviously huge increase of demand, very low supply, going to cause prices to go higher. Um, but there's a few specific things that, you know, you wanted to consider, right? Number one would be lumber prices. They shot up like three times the yeah, price. It was crazy to see it. Like it was crazy, commodity crazy prices. to see. So think about that home constructors or uh, construction companies to make that house, to do remodeling, renovations, additions. All those things are going to cost three times as much. And so those that can afford it, they'll plunge into it. And it kind of references back to some kind of income inequality. Whereas you see wealthier people being able to do it. People that are just buying their first home, young couples maybe, not as able to get into that home. 
And I think it's also a little bit to do with like there's the actual supply chain issues that mm -hmm. a lot of companies were going through. Like they couldn't just get the material you couldn't over. Do it. Yeah. Um, whether it's, you know, hiring truck drivers, whatever it may be, um, they just couldn't get a workforce. And we're still seeing that, you know, huge unemployment number and people just trying to get back to work. You see it in every single sector. And to the lumber point, it wasn't necessarily that there weren't enough trees to be made into homes. <laughs> it's just that they had a Save limited crossing ability. <laughs> I know. <laughs> um, but yeah, they there's only so many trees that a plant can process to build, uh, to make wood planks to build a home. So that was a whole process in itself. Yeah, and speaking of saving the trees, you know, Tesla, one of the companies that's trying to get us over to this electric grid, um, they're also a little bit, of, you know, companies like them are part of the problem when it comes to these housing mm -hmm. crisis because they're moving into areas like where they built Giga Texas, um, which is, you know, billion dollar, 2,000 acre factory to produce cyber trucks, um, create a ton of new jobs. And, you know, a lot of places in Austin are kind of facing the same thing uh, where you have all of these professionals that are almost like displacing the actual communities that were there in the first place. That's exactly it. So you come and build a huge factory. You expect to bring some of your key personnel with you. And those people are going to jack up the prices of homes. So uh, exactly as you said, the people that are in that, that, uh, area to begin with, they're going to have trouble, not the people coming in from the major cities. So is there any solution that we can figure out here? I think it's just time, right? We see this in markets all the time where you have cycles. At this moment, we're at a peak, like a perfect storm of limited supply and super high demand. Just like when we have supply chain constraints, it takes time so that these issues can remedy themselves. And I think the same is true with the housing market. Yeah. And, you know, a couple places that we're actually taking advantage of this and for our own clients is we'll buy, um, you know, home builders is kind of a major theme of ours. So companies like Home Depot, um, Lennar, um, you know, those are types of companies that, you know, are ultimately benefiting or even like an ETF like ITB, um, who just kind of buys a basket of them. Um, have you know proven to be a pretty well solid investment um, you know when you try to get out of the the whole growth stock mode which everyone is always so heavily allocated in right and when you look at other areas of the market that are benefiting if you can't get into the home might as well take part of the economy that is uh, <laughs> benefiting for sure and um, you know with do you think that like interest rates rising will take down home prices? too significantly or is the demand just like too high that it may just keep floating? From what I'm seeing with my clients, it's up to a point. Like if the price gets way too high, they're willing to stretch, but they're not willing to stretch an unreasonable amount for the value of what they're getting. I think that interest rates do play a role here. If you're able to borrow at 2.8 or 3% right now, uh, if that changes and tapering occurs and now it's 5% or a little bit higher even, that's gonna limit the demand to a certain degree. Yeah, and I don't know. I mean, I think that like, especially with people's first homes, like they're a lot less price conscious because they're like, oh, I'm gonna be here for a while. You know, maybe they're you know millennial. They're in that age group of like 33 to 38, and they're mm -hmm. having their first kid, and so like they don't mind overpaying a little bit right now, um, especially if they do have like dual incomes or are good jobs. Um, so, you know, it's hard to even tell that like there's so much cash on the sidelines right now. It's like when they do raise rates, like, is that even going to make a huge difference? We'll have to see. We'll see. But talking about 
rates. Um, one rate that everyone hates to talk about is student loan rates. Uh-huh. <laughs> Even though we're not yeah. actually paying any interest on Absolutely. them right now. Absolutely, not right now, but um, that's coming. Yeah, so to kind of reset you know, what happened, if you guys don't know, um, the Fed, or sorry, the government basically said uh, that they're going to put all student loan payments in forbearance. Um, they had first extended it to the later part of this year, but then now it's January 31st of 2022, I believe. That's right. Um, and so, you know, this is going to be a huge issue when these people have to start paying these again, right? Mm-hmm. Um, th- I think that, you know, the Biden administration is trying to forgive around 10,000 of student loans. That's what it, they're aiming for. Yeah. <laughs> they've been saying this, though, like every administration. I feel like it's like a good talking point to like just try to get more people voters like on that. your side. People yeah. like to hear that they're going to they're going to be able to write off however many tens of thousands of dollars they have in student debt. The truth is, is that this is a really big political issue. So you have two parties here, two, <laughs> two sides of the camp. One of them says that uh, Biden can just sign it on his desk and it's done, $10,000 forgiven for everyone. The other side is that says, no, wait, hold on. Congress needs to approve this. And the likelihood of Congress doing that a lot slimmer than Biden doing it on his own, right? We can spend and spend and spend, but at the end of the day, someone needs to to officiate the checks and balances here. Yeah, just put more debt. Why not? <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, regardless of political party, it seems like this is something that most people can agree on because most people like free money. And most people understand that, you know, by putting this huge debt on our next generation of leaders is not going to fare well for the rest of the country and right. our futures. Consequences to everything. No free lunch. absolutely so is there any like guidelines of when they're trying to do this by so i think that overall we're looking at between now and this january time frame trying to come up with an answer at least some guidance within congress obviously they're dealing with so many other issues at the moment that are way more pressing than student loans Uh, but what we're seeing is that Generally speaking, the Biden administration is trying to smooth over student debt. So what that means is that if your income is below a certain amount, like let's say you have what what the number is, is $125,000 in household income, that you actually would benefit from a lower payment year over year. Uh, there are also some efforts to to uh, reduce or even give tuition-free community college access to some of those individuals that apply for it. That's something that wasn't necessarily available before that the Biden administration is working on right now. Income-based repayment options as well. So it's not just the student loan forgiveness. It's also making it easier for those that are going to college to make it more affordable for them, which I think is a really positive shift because clearly we have an issue. Yeah, and like honestly, borrowers shouldn't be banking on forgiveness. Like Mm -hmm. I have my doubts that this program um, will even come to fruition or if we do get any forgiveness, like it's kind of a long shot in my opinion. Um, But what people don't realize is that not all debt is bad debt. Um, So, you know, when you're talking about things like houses or student loans, like typically these things tend to be lower interest debt. And like, let's say like, you know, if your mortgage loans two, three percent, your student loans are two, three percent, there's a certain camp of people that don't like debt and they just want to pay that down as fast as possible. And that's generally, you know, not the best strategy if you're trying to make your dollars work harder for you. 
So like, you know, if you know that the stock market average is 10% a year, or you can get even a little bit higher return in something else than what you're actually paying out, as long as you're okay with taking on a little bit more of risk, Mm -hmm. generally it's a better idea to invest the extra money rather than like putting more towards those payments. I always say invest in appreciating assets, don't invest in depreciating ones. So we're talking about credit card debt when you buy uh, clothing, consumer goods, whatever it is, and you're paying 19%, that's bad debt. When you buy an education that gets you further in life, not a bad thing to have on hand. There's also bad, you know, sometimes people pay for education and they don't know what they're necessarily going to do with it. I would try to avoid that. Like if you're going back to school, you know, have a reason why you're doing it, not just because you necessarily think that getting that job is going to like automatically give you a higher income like usually you should be going back to college or you know getting a higher educational degree if it's going to like propel your career forward or you want to make a career switch into a different industry like there has to be like an actionable item not just because you want to like rack up another degree for no reason a hundred percent i think the wall street journal a couple months back had an expose on this on their podcast saying that there are a ton of graduate schools that will leave individuals with like three or four hundred thousand dollars in student debt when the job they can expect to get out of their graduate school is around thirty to forty thousand dollars a year so the dollars don't necessarily match and i think that what's really important for listeners to understand is that when choosing that graduate degree or that college degree that it can translate to something where you're not left with a huge amount of debt and you can take actionable steps to pay it off slowly yeah well what are some kind of actionable steps that you would say Um, You know, obviously you want to get your budget in line. You want to make sure that you have, you know, a clear understanding of what exactly you have in assets, what exactly you have in liabilities, what does your cash flow look like? And then from there, what do you kind of do? So what I would do first and foremost is take a look at your actual loan. Is it public or is it private? Huge difference. Yeah, huge difference. If it's already private and it's at a higher rate, you might be able to refinance that to a lower rate and save money on a monthly basis. If it's public, well, who knows what Biden's going to forgive and what he won't forgive. But if it's a, a large amount and it's in forbearance, you could actually make a big dent in it while you have 0% interest. Yeah, um, it's always kind of a struggle when like, you know, if you do have like a little bit higher interest government loan, um, if you want to like consider refinancing it, like it does you know, seem appealing to get that lower interest rate to lower your payment, but you have to realize that you're giving up government benefits potentially, whether that's Mm -hmm. the forbearance that's currently going on or any future forgiveness. If you refinance that into a private loan, you're no longer getting that support. That's it. And you can't just like, you know, say, oh, I I didn't mean to or or something (laughs) along those lines and switch it back. Like it's just done when it's done. Correct. So the first step, take a look at your loan, understand what you have going on. And then depending on the amount, make make a decision in terms of if it's worth to refinance or you want to keep that government benefit there. All right. And uh, what are some other kind of steps you would say? So like you talked a little bit about like the income driven repayment plan, right? Yeah, I think that if you are looking or if you're working at a public place or a public hospital, for example, public university, there are public service loan forgiveness programs that you can take advantage of. Also consider an income driven repayment plan, which can lead to lower and more affordable monthly payments. And especially in this forbearance period. I think the next best step is just to prepare within your budget to have repayments begin again because they will begin again. And it's really important to get your budget in line so that when they come, you're prepared for it. 
Awesome. And, um, you know, there's a lot of questions. We get a lot of questions on this. You know, we deal with a lot of younger investors, especially in the Get Invested program. A lot of them have student loans. A lot of their main goal really is to buy their first house. So if you guys have questions on these things, you know, this situation's kind of, you know, are important to you, um, then definitely reach out to us. We're, you know, me or Eva are happy to sit down with you. Um, and go through your situation in detail, free of charge, uh, free consultation, sit down for an hour, hash out a budget with you, hash out a net worth analysis, teach you about these concepts so you can make a great financial plan and make you know smart decisions moving forward because the decisions that you make in your early 20s right now or late 20s or even in early 30s, they're going to affect you for the rest of your life, whether you do them right or not. Mm-hmm. That's absolutely correct. All right. Well, with that being said, we're going to hop over to Twitter Spaces and maybe have a conversation with a few people if you guys want to join us. But until next time, we'll see you all later. See you later.